Good afternoon. What is it that makes for the most lasting of first impressions when you meet someone? Is it how they're dressed? Or maybe how they greet you? Maybe it's the content of that first conversation that you might have with them? You know, sometimes we can have a first encounter with someone, and right from the very beginning, we know a lot about that person and what they talk to us about and how they present themselves. Jesus made quite a first impression when He met the men who would be His disciples. John the Baptist's testimony combined with Jesus' supernatural knowledge of the men in today's passage led them to the right conclusion about Jesus' identity, His true identity, almost immediately. It was a series of first impressions that began for them what would be a life of following Jesus of Nazareth. Today we'll hear in our passage their true declarations about Jesus' identity and Jesus' promise that they would see even far greater things in Him if they continued to follow Him and believe in Him. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're about to finish up the first chapter. We're going to be reading from verses 35 through 51. John chapter 1, verses 35 to 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. 
you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to see Jesus with the eyes of faith. We want to see His beauty, His power, His glory, His justice, and His love. We want to know Him, and we want to be changed by Him. We want to be strengthened in following Him, in believing in Him, and trusting in Him, and obeying Him. Oh, Lord, would You open our eyes, Lord, as we consider Your Word. Amen. I think John has recounted these initial encounters of Jesus with His first disciples so that we would see and follow Jesus, the long-expected Messiah. I think that's the big idea that these verses are here to teach us. See and follow Jesus, the long-expected Messiah. Now, last week we heard the most important message of John the Baptist. When he was asked about who he was, he essentially said, look, I'm not important, but there's someone who's coming after me who is the most important person that you'll ever meet. And when John saw Jesus... He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John was announcing that Jesus is the man that I've been proclaiming to you. He's the one that the Father has anointed with the Holy Spirit when I baptized Him. He is the Son of God. Other gospel accounts tell us lots more about John the Baptist's ministry, but the gospel of John reduces it to his most important message, and that is, look at Jesus. John the Baptist had many disciples, and now here in verses 35 through 42, they begin to recognize the identity and importance of Jesus, and they leave John to follow Jesus. The first section we're going to look at is verses 35 through 42, and the main point of those verses is, see Jesus the Messiah and follow Him. See Jesus the Messiah and follow Him. Now, when our passage begins, it's the day after John had declared Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and this time... John's standing with two of his disciples, and Jesus approaches them again. And again, John declares, behold, the Lamb of God. He says it again. Now, perhaps the disciples had heard him the day before, and maybe they didn't understand what John had meant with that momentous declaration. Maybe it lingered on their minds, and overnight it began to make sense to them. Whatever the reason was that they didn't immediately follow Jesus the day before, now they're ready, and they followed Jesus. You might be wondering, why would John the Baptist gladly accept that his disciples would become Jesus' disciples? They're leaving him to follow Jesus. But think about his message. John the Baptist said, after me comes someone greater than me. All of John's 
ministry was in preparation for Jesus, and now He's here. Surely His ministry among His disciples prepared them to follow the greater one. And in chapter 3, some of John's disciples are going to come back to him and complain to him that many people are leaving their ministry of baptism and beginning to follow Jesus and his ministry with his disciples. What's John's answer then? He must increase and I must decrease. Now, as the two disciples followed Jesus, Jesus began interacting with them and he started with a question What are you seeking? Throughout the Gospel of John, we'll see that Jesus' words, and many times, oftentimes, other people as well, they have a simple meaning and they have a deeper meaning. So on the surface, Jesus' question for them was simple, something like, what do you want with me? Or what are you following me for? But it's hard not to hear Jesus' question and an even deeper question that perhaps at that time they didn't understand. Rather than simply asking, what are you seeking? Jesus, I think, was also asking them, what are you really seeking in life? What do you want? What do you need? Their unspoken answer seems to be something like, well, we want to get to know you, Jesus, because they inquire where he's staying And with that, Jesus gives them the ultimate invitation. Come and you will see. Do you hear it again? A simple answer and a deeper answer as well. Now, these two disciples will also begin to see more than just where Jesus is staying. They're going to begin to see Jesus in a whole new light. This is the first of two times in this entire passage that people are invited to come and see Jesus. Here, Jesus invites, and later on in our passage, one of His disciples will invite, come and see. It's such a simple phrase, and yet it really is what every church and really every Christian should have as their motto. What every person who follows Jesus should have as their slogan or their mission, the thing that describes us as we live in a world that doesn't know Jesus. Are we living lives and speaking words that invite people to come and see? Would people say that about us at Covenant Hope Church, brothers and sisters? Would someone say that about you personally? That your life says, essentially, come and see Jesus. What did these two disciples see in Jesus that day as they spent the evening with Him. It was already late in the day. It was around 4 p.m., and yet there was enough time for them to reach an important conclusion about who Jesus really was. We know this because in verse 40, one of the disciples who had followed Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. And before the day was completely gone, he found his brother and declared what they had seen in Jesus. Look at the second half of verse 41 with me. What does he say? We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Our entire passage this afternoon is filled with amazing and revealing titles that 
tell us who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And the title in this verse 40 is Messiah. It's a Hebrew word, and it essentially means an anointed one. And so, in the Greek, it's translated Christ. That's why we call Him Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. Christ isn't His last name, by the way. All of Israel was waiting for the Messiah, the Christ. They were waiting. In the Old Testament, God's chosen king of Israel was known as the anointed one. And so, in 1 Samuel 10, King Saul is appointed and anointed the first king over Israel. And then in chapter 16, David would be anointed the king to take Saul's place. Even before the time of the kings, in fact, the patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were considered to be God's anointed ones. We see that in Psalm 105, 15. That's how they're referred to. Prophets and priests were anointed by the Lord as well. But the prophets of the Old Testament foretold that there would be a a future anointed one, a Messiah, a Christ, who would be coming in the future, sent from God to rescue and lead God's people. And that man was every Israelite's hope. And now he's here. Now he's here. He's declared by Andrew to his brother Simon. And so Simon went to see Jesus that very day, and his life would never be the same. Look with me at verse 42, what Jesus says to Simon. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. When Jesus looked at Simon, he saw not only the rash, quick to act, and slow to think Simon, Jesus saw who he would transform Simon into. In fact, that he would make Simon into a rock. That's what Peter means, rock. And that he would be the foundation on which his church was built. That's what Jesus said to to Simon Peter in one of the other Gospels in Matthew. When Jesus renamed Simon to Cephas, he was doing something that really was characteristic of God throughout the whole Old Testament. God renames people. And with their new names, God tells a promise of who they will become through His providential guidance and work in their life. Abraham was renamed, excuse me, Abram was renamed Abraham, which means father of many. Sarai was renamed Sarah, which means princess or noblewoman. Jacob means deceiver, but the Lord renamed him Israel, which means he who wrestles with God. Peter had met and seen the Messiah, but more importantly, Jesus had looked and seen Peter and who he would become as a disciple of Christ. Through Jesus' declaration of a new name for Peter, he was confirming that he himself, Jesus, was the Messiah. He was the one who was anointed with the authority of God to rewrite anyone's story and determine their future. 
I grew up going to church, hearing about Jesus, hearing many of the, the names for Jesus that are in this passage, but it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I saw with the eyes of faith that Jesus was the Messiah. I thought that I was a Christian because I went to church, but through the simple witness of some youth workers, I saw that Jesus was a Savior who only saved sinners, people who knew they had sin and had no hope without Him. Jesus didn't literally rename me. My name was Brian back then. Just like your name didn't change when you came to know Christ. But like Peter's life, my life changed in that spring of 1981. It's never been the same. The Lord had a lot more to do in me. Oh, He sure did. Just as He has a lot more to do in you and a lot more to do in Peter's life at this point in time before he could be the rock for the church to be built upon. Now, I, I'm not nearly as godly as I should be given how long I've been walking with Jesus. But I shudder to think what kind of person I would be if Jesus hadn't revealed himself to me hadn't opened up my eyes and hadn't changed the trajectory of my entire life. I hope you look back if you're a Christian and you see how Jesus has changed you, how Jesus has directed your life, how He's writing your future as you follow Him. Christian author Eugene Peterson says in his book about the life of Jeremiah, Names call us to become who we will be. Naming is a way of hoping. So we name a child after someone or some quality that we hope he or she will become. When you recognize Jesus as the long-expected Messiah, the anointed one of God for all people, and you begin to believe in Him and you begin to follow Him, He sees you and He calls you saint or holy one. He looks at you and He calls you beloved. No matter what your background, no matter what kind of sins you've sinned, no matter how many of the countless sins you've sinned, when you meet and believe in Jesus, your purpose and your destiny for life changes. Saint, and beloved are who you are and who you will become in Christ. Andrew and Peter saw that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one from God, and they followed Him. But the following doesn't stop. It's only the beginning. And in the next section, in verses 43 through 51, we're going to see more people following and the promise that those who follow Him will see in Him even more than they already do. So the point from the first section of our passage was see Jesus the Messiah and follow Him. The point for this second section is follow Jesus to see His true greatness. Follow Jesus in order to see His true greatness. As verse 43 begins, a new day has started, and with the new day, Jesus takes the center stage in this gospel account. 
So John has stepped back into the shadows and Jesus has stepped forward. John's testimony has set in motion the gathering of followers to Jesus. And on this second day, more begin to follow. Jesus has been in the region east of the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing. And now Jesus decides to go to the northern region of Galilee, closer to his home in Nazareth and to the homes of the men who had begun to follow him. And before he goes, Jesus takes the initiative and he finds Philip, who was likely a disciple of John the Baptist's, just like the others who've been following Jesus in this passage so far, and who is likely an acquaintance of Andrew and Peter, because we learn that Philip's from the same hometown in Galilee, Bethsaida. Now, following Jesus is one of the themes that's emphasized in this passage because we see the repeated word follow and followed. But it's important that we understand what it means to follow Jesus. There is no following Jesus without becoming a disciple of Jesus. That's what was happening with these men when they followed Jesus. They were becoming lifelong apprentices to Jesus. They were learning a way of life. Pastor Tim Keller makes it clear when he says, there is no way to know Christ without exclusive, lifelong commitment to Him. The two are inseparable. Another Bible commentary says, when Jesus says, follow me, Jesus means that we are to follow His manner of life, His attitude towards others, and His submission to the will of the Father. But most of all, following Jesus means relying on Him and only Him for our salvation. If you're not a Christian, but you're considering Christianity, this is what it means to become a Christian. It means a lifelong, exclusive commitment to Jesus. Following Jesus isn't simply praying a prayer for forgiveness to Jesus and then carrying on with your life the way you were living it before. No, no, it's a, it's a lifelong decision. And for everyone, it involves life change, not just for some. I don't know what those changes would be in your life if you began to follow Jesus. But I do know that whatever changes the Lord called you to would be for your ultimate good and for Jesus' honor. Now, if you consider yourself a Christian... I want to ask you, are you following Him with your manner of life and with your attitude towards others? Are you submitting to the will of the Father day in and day out? You may have had an intense emotional experience at some point in your life. Maybe you told someone or someone told you to pray a prayer and then they told you you were a Christian. Maybe you've been going to church for a long time. But if you're not following Jesus now, just like I've described it, then it's likely that you're not a Christian. Becoming a Christian means becoming a lifelong follower, a disciple of the Messiah. Perhaps when you think carefully about it, you may come to the conclusion that 
you weren't really a Christian all along when you thought you were. Maybe it's confusing when you look back. You've had periods in your life, maybe extended periods, when you've clearly not been following Jesus. Now, if you're not sure that you became a Christian back then, and you're wondering whether you actually began following Jesus sometime in the past, I want to tell you, don't spend too much time debating it in your mind. Just begin following Him today. In time, the Lord will give you clarity about His work in your life in the past, but your chief concern should be following Him today. Clarify whether or not you're a Christian by following Him right now. Once Philip began to follow Jesus, he immediately found Nathanael and announced to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph. The testimony about who Jesus is, it just keeps popping up in this passage. And here we have another stunning claim that Philip is making about Jesus. His disciples believed that from the very beginning that the whole Old Testament foretold the coming of the Messiah, the Christ. The law, which was written by Moses, which is the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Pentateuch. And then there's the prophets in the Old Testament. They include 17 of the 39 books in the Old Testament. And between those alone, Jesus will say about Himself, really even about the whole Old Testament in chapter 5, verse 39 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. Whenever you hear the Old Testament preached here at Covenant Hope Church, you should expect to hear how any given passage connects to or points to Jesus, no matter where it is in the Old Testament, whether it's in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or Nahum or the Psalms, it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all setting the stage for the Messiah. Now, when Nathanael heard Philip's testimony about Jesus, he had some doubts, and his reply is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm not sure exactly what Nathaniel had against Nazareth. <laughs> Maybe it was a bit of uh, Galilean rivalry since he was from up there. And so Philip invites Nathaniel, come and see. If you have friends who have doubts about Jesus, there's nothing better that you can do than to invite them to come and see for themselves in the Gospels. Who is this Jesus? Invite them to read it. Invite them to read it with you. Invite them to make up their own minds once and for all, not to dismiss Christianity or the Bible having not really investigated it. Whatever doubts Nathaniel had about Jesus, they were swept away as soon as they met. Jesus sees him coming, and he declares Nathaniel an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This isn't just Jesus declaring that Nathanael is sinless. In fact, 
let me rephrase that. This isn't Jesus declaring that Nathanael is sinless. Jesus instead is saying that Nathanael is an honest and clear-sighted person. He's someone who has a cl clear conscience. In fact, it's like other places in the Bible where it says someone is above reproach, for example. It doesn't mean they're sinless. Now, Nathaniel, excuse me, not only can Jesus see into his heart and know his life, though they've never met, Jesus then demonstrates more supernatural knowledge of Nathaniel by telling him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And now Nathaniel is doubly impressed, recognizing that Jesus is no ordinary man and combined with Philip's testimony that the Scriptures are all about Jesus, he declares Jesus to be the Son of God and the King of Israel. More amazing declarations about who Jesus is. There are numerous passages in the Old Testament which point to the Messiah being the Son of God. But perhaps one of the clearest would be 2 Samuel 7, where God promises King David that he would raise up one of David's sons to sit on an everlasting throne. So in that chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, in verse 14, God tells David, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son a son of God, but also a son of David. The Messiah would be the son of God and the king of Israel. He would have an everlasting throne. But even as Nathanael in faith declared these titles for Jesus, there was much, much more that he and the other disciples had to learn about Jesus. And Jesus makes that clear in the final two verses, verses 50 and 51. Look there with me again. It says, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is effectively saying, Nathaniel, look, you're impressed with my super knowledge of you now and the fact that I knew you were sitting under a fig tree before you came to meet me. But if you keep following me, if you keep believing in me, you will see even greater things. Heaven will be opened up to you. In verse 51, there's kind of a cryptic saying here. Jesus speaks about angels ascending and descending Jesus is making a reference to a story in Genesis chapter 28 that Ruth read to us earlier in the service. And in that story, if you remember, Jacob, the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham, has a vision of a ladder, or it could be translated stairs, that lead up to heaven. And the presence of God is right there with him. And there are angels going up the stairs and coming down the stairs. And so Jacob woke up in the morning and named that place Bethel, which means house of God. Now Jesus is declaring to Nathanael, 
that he will see heaven opened and angels ascending and descending, not on Bethel, not in Bethel, but on the Son of Man. The Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself, and it recalls a messianic passage in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, where the Lord in all His glory is approached by someone who looks like a son of man. It says in Daniel 7, verse 14, of this son of man, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is teaching Nathaniel that the Bethel, the house of God, used to be a place, but that place has now been revealed to be a person. Jesus is the dwelling place of God. That is why Paul could write to the church in Colossa, for in Jesus, in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And now that Jesus has arrived, people don't go to a special building to meet with God. They come to a person. They come to Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man. Jesus' revelation here to Nathanael is at the heart of the good news, brothers and sisters. Jesus is the one who opens up heaven to man. Jesus is the one who enables mercy, the mercy of God, to come from heaven to earth. Every one of us needs the mercy of God. We're, we were all destined to be condemned to an eternity experiencing the wrath of God for our sin. But now God the Father has sent His Son Jesus and has brought mercy to us. His death on the cross and His resurrection to new life, it's paid the penalty for our sin and it offers the promise of everlasting life for anyone who repents of their sin, who recognizes who Jesus is and turns to follow Him in faith. And so, you shouldn't go to church to be saved because it's in that building you'll be saved. No, you should go to Jesus. Throughout this passage, we've had it revealed to us through the testimony of these first disciples more of who Jesus is. It began with John the Baptist telling us He's the Lamb of God. Of course, He was the Lamb who was slain for our sin. We learned that He is the Christ, the long-expected Messiah sent from God. He is the one whom Moses and the prophets wrote about and for whom all Israel was waiting. He's the God-sent prophet, for example, like Moses that he wrote about in Deuteronomy, and he's the suffering servant foretold in the pages of Isaiah. He's the Davidic king who would be the son of God and the king of Israel, and he's the son of man, the son of man whom Daniel saw receiving authority and power and an everlasting throne. 
commenting on this encounter between Philip and Nathaniel and Jesus, one commentator says, it is said that seeing is believing. But in these verses, Jesus is teaching His disciples that following and believing also leads to seeing. That's true just as much as it was for them. It's true for us. If you begin following Jesus, you will see more of Jesus. You will learn more of who He is. There's always more to know about the God-man, Jesus Christ. In the fullness, if the fullness of the infinite God dwells in Him, you haven't come to know Him in His fullness yet. If you're considering becoming a Christian, but you feel the need to know more before you begin following Him, maybe, just maybe, you know enough. In fact, you've heard enough in this sermon today to trust in Jesus and begin following Him. These men simply recognized that Jesus was the long-expected Messiah, and they responded in faithful obedience to believe in Him and follow Him, and yet they had so much more to learn about Him, and they would, and you will too. Perhaps you know enough. Perhaps it's time to stop gathering information and instead begin to follow Him. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, are you pressing into your relationship with Christ to know Him better? What in your life could bring more joy, more contentment, more fulfillment than knowing Jesus more and more and more deeply? The answer is nothing. Nothing compares to seeing and knowing Christ. Do you see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, God's very own Son? Then follow Him. Keep following Him. Don't stop following Him. Do you feel that there's nothing more to know about Him? Oh, friend, look again. Follow Him and you will see more and more and more of His greatness until you see Him face to face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You and thank You that You have opened heaven to us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us see Jesus. Help us believe in Jesus. Help us follow Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Let's declare His greatness to one another in song. Please stand with me.